Heavenly Father, I pray that you would be with us this morning and help us to um, help us to glorify you. And and uh, I pray that you would help me to um, unpack your word, un- unpack the treasures that you have for us in in the scriptures, Lord. Help me to um, not get in the way of of your truths, Lord, but that um, um, folks would just hear from you and know you more through through um, hearing hearing your word today. I pray that you would open the hearts of folks who are here, uh, make it good soil for the planting of good seeds, and, and I pray that you would bring forth a, a great harvest from from what folks hear. In Jesus' name, amen. I, uh, I am going to ask for a glass of water. I don't know if somebody could please get me a glass of water. I um, forgot to grab one uh, before I came up here. I... Uh, we're going to be starting on a new series. Uh, we're going to be talking about the purpose of the church. We're going to be talking about the church in general um, for the next few weeks. And, and trying to decide, I figured as a starting point, we ought to talk about the purpose. And, and I, I, uh, I got to admit, like, as I, uh, as I prepared to talk about this, it felt like biting into an apple. Have you all ever, like, eaten an apple and just bit into entirely too large of a piece and, like, chunked out half the apple and found that your mouth was stuffed full and, and you couldn't quite chew it because it was too much. Like the, the, it's a big topic, and I'm going to do my best with it. Um, um, hopefully I can chew it up properly as, as we talk about it this morning. Um, and actually, I'm going to start off with a story about my son, uh, Titus. You all have seen him, right? He's the blur that runs by you now and again. Um, and, and this week, uh, actually this, this Friday on my day off, I decided that I was going to deal with my children's toys, which was um, a day project. It, it, I got tired of breaking them when I tried to walk through their room um, because you couldn't, I don't know, maybe I'm the only parent in the world who's bad like this, but I, I couldn't see their floor anymore. And I said, all right, we're going to take it all out and we're going to sort it and we're going to put it in bins and we're going to hide it in places and we're going to give some stuff away and we're going to keep some stuff in the office so you can play with it there and it's all going to be done. And I spent about... I don't know, honey, what do you think, six hours? Sorting toys. And, and it, was, it was no small feat. And I, by the time I was done, like, I had all these little totes and bins spread out around the living room. And I was sorting cars into this one and, you know, dolls into this one, little, like, my little pony toys and, and Legos. Oh, my gosh, Legos are, they're like that Easter grass. You know what I'm talking about? Where it, like... It gets everywhere, and they just stick, and it's, you know, oh, look, Legos. And they're landmines. You step on them, it's, you lose your leg. It's awful. Um, the strangest thing happened. Like, I recruited the children to help, and they did very well for a while. And then all of a sudden, my son, Titus, started noticing that there were toys he loved that he had lost in the black hole that was their bedroom and, and suddenly they were before his eyes. And, and he would say, Dad, it's my truck. It's like, yes, it is, but we're not going to play with the truck right now. No playing with the toys till we're done organizing them. And children love organizing. Um, so, so that went over, you know, like a ton of bricks. And about halfway through the day, I noticed that two of the bins were significantly emptier than they should have been. Like two very full bins of construction trucks and farm equipment. Like, like I know I filled them up, but they were empty. And I thought, well, that's weird. And so I started walking around the house, and I, I walked into my wife's office, and hidden, hidden, 
(laughs) Behind several boxes and several piles of blankets, there was a small village of construction equipment and farm toys. Because despite the fact that we had set out with a unified purpose, my son saw the, the dazzling draw of John Deere tractors. That's what they all are. John Deere tractors. And he wanted them. And he wanted the yellow cat construction trucks, and he wanted them. And organizing seemed like a good idea, but this seemed like a better idea. And before you knew it, all of that stuff disappeared. And, and like, I had a purpose, and we had a purpose, and then he had a purpose, and we went in different directions. And, you know, Abby kind of did the same thing, too, but her, her peeling away was different. It was, it was nap time. Um, as we, as we start talking about the church, I mean, we are a church, right? We are a group of folks. We meet on Sunday mornings. We meet on Wednesdays sometimes. Um, we have each other's phone numbers. Thank you, honey. Um, like, we are a church. And, like, the, the crazy thing that happens sometimes with the church, universal, is we, we lose sight of our purpose, right? God has given us certain things we need to do. God has given us a purpose as the church, and our job is to get our job done. But, like, we have folks that say, well, wait a minute. This is a really pretty thing. Like, what if we chase after this? And, like, oh, wow, this is awesome. Let's do this. And before you know it, the church kind of peels off in different directions. And even within congregations, you'll have where, like, churches will fight with each other because there's differences of opinion regarding what the purpose and point is. And, like, we end up lost. Is this, does this make sense? Are you all with me still? Um, and so we are going to talk about the purpose of the church this morning, like, like the Bride of Christ. We're going to understand the Bride of Christ better. Uh, and, and actually, we're going to do it in John because, like, John is, is um, where I decide we're going to do it. I've been preaching on John for almost a year now. Might as well just go right back to it. Um, and this matters because, um, because if we have a purpose, like if we're, if we're here for a purpose, if God like, has given us a reason, we need to do it, right? Like, if I show up to work every day and I do one thing, but my job is to do another, there's going to be a problem before long, right? Um, Not to mention, we just watched this, uh, The Great Race. Uh, Rebecca made us watch it as a torture. Um, And it's about these, it's it's about these, these, these race car drivers, I guess. Uh, I don't know, I was sleeping. Um... And at the very beginning, there's this woman who's driving in this race, and one of the other drivers says, if you drive that car, you will not finish. It is not a car that's designed for this. And, like, halfway through the race, her car breaks down, and she ends up stranded in the desert. And he comes along, and he says, well, I told you, this is a car for going on picnics and trips to the country, not for driving cross-country. If you try to drive it cross-country, it will break down. The church is what it's You know, the church was given a purpose, and our purpose, like when we stop following that purpose, we break down, right? When we stop following the reason for our being, like we disintegrate, we fight with each other, we get lost, we we chase after things that don't matter, and we fail to accomplish our job. Um, And as we get into this, like one last thing, we need to discuss the word glory, right? To say it, glory. Glory. Glory is a word like that I, I tried to boil it down to a definition, and it's not that easy, right? Like, it is just a big, big, big word. And I guess it's appropriate that it's a big word because it's one of God's, like, major attributes. 
Um, one of God's major attributes is that he is glorious, like he's holy and he's loving and he's all of these things, and God is glorious. And what does that mean? Well, you go with the straight, simple definition. Glory is a reference to, like, uh, the aspect of God's person. I'm going to read it for you, right? The aspect of God's person that is worthy of praise, honor, and respect, often associated with brightness or splendor. Um, that explains it completely, right? Not really. Um, but it is kind of the nugget of it. Like, it is the core and the kernel of it. God's glory is, like, God's glory is the part of him that is worthy of paying attention to. Um, one of the best things about, about the house we live in in Big Sandy is when, when, it's, um, when I don't have a big curtain hanging in front of the window so that I can sleep at night, I can wake up in the morning and I can look from where I'm laying. I can look out the window and I can see the bear paws. And if I wake up at the right hour, I can see the sun rising over it. And, like, I see it in the morning laying in bed, and I think God made an amazing, amazing place. Like, God set those mountains there. God made that sunrise. Like, that, that is worth taking a minute to appreciate. Like, God, you are awesome for that. Like, God's glory is revealed in the creation, right? God's glory is revealed when we see in the Old Testament. Like, God shows up to talk to Moses and, like, God's presence is so glorious that it's, like, manifested in light. And, you know, if you're imperfect, like, God's glory, like, would literally destroy you. So, like, as you approach God, if, if, you, if you approach God's glory inappropriately, like, it wipes you out. It burns you up. Like, you can't even, you know, be in the presence of his glory. Um, Moses was able to see God in the fullness of his glory, but only from behind, right? Like, God put him in the cleft of a rock and passed by, and he could see the glory of God from behind. Um, the church's purpose is to bring God glory, right? This is our job. Our job is to bring God glory. Now, does God need us to bring him glory? Actually, no. God's glorious on his own, right? Like, he doesn't actually need us to tell folks, um, except that most of the world lives in the dark, and most of the world doesn't know him. Um, we're going to start in John here. Let me not get ahead of myself here too far ahead of myself. Before we get into the passage we're going to talk about, we're going to look at John 12, 27 to 29. This is in the New International this week. Um, now my soul is troubled. This is Jesus talking. He has just finished the triumphant entry. I mean, literally, like they are walking into Jerusalem at the end of his life, right? Like right at the end of his ministry. They're walking into Jerusalem, and people have come out, and they're like praising God, and they're putting their coats down so the donkey's riding doesn't have to touch the ground, and they're waving palm banners, they're meeting him like a conquering king, and, and they're glory to God, you know, and all this other stuff. And the, the, the Sadducees and the Pharisees are there watching, and they're like, hey, you should shut these people up. They shouldn't talk about him that way. And Jesus turns to him and he says, hey, if these people weren't praising me, the very stones, the rocks would cry out and praise me at this point. Like, like it has to happen now. And he gets to the end, and, like, there's some Greek folks, some non-Jewish people who come to the disciples and say hey you know let us meet this guy we want to know who he is and jesus like hears about it and he stops and here's what he says which is the weirdest thing because he doesn't say well bring him on in i'll meet him he says now my soul is troubled and what shall i say father save me from this hour no it was for this very reason i came to this hour father glorify your name then a voice came from heaven i have glorified it and i will glorify it again the crowd that was there heard it and said that it had thundered. 
Others said an angel had spoken to him. Um, what's going on here is Jesus has come to the point, like the whole way of his ministry is like, hey, my hour hasn't come yet. My hour hasn't come yet. It's not my time. Why are you asking this of me? It's not my time. Like he says it over and over and over again. And now he's reached his time, which means he's going to be arrested. He's going to be put on a mock trial. He's going to be tortured. He's going to be nailed to the cross, and he's going to die for our sins. That is his hour. And in John's gospel, this is like the major theme. Like all of Jesus' life and work is about glorifying God. And there's all of this talk of glory. Like this is over and over again, man. It is the drum that John beats. Like God's glory, God's glory, God's glory, God's glory. And we get to the end. Like right at the end of Jesus' teachings, he's about to go to the garden um, and in front of his disciples, he starts praying. And a lot of like scholars will say, well, this prayer is an expansion of what he said at the gates of Jerusalem, right? Like this exchange between him and God where he's like, God says, I've glorified it and I will glorify it again. You know, he says, Father, glorify your name because Jesus' job was to glorify God, like his whole job. And he's going to talk about that here. After Jesus said this, he looked toward the heaven and prayed. So he's just finished what's called the Olivet Discourse. He's done all of this teaching and he starts praying. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. Um, now there's a little unpacking to do here. Um, this is an unusual prayer by the standards of New Testament prayers because like Jewish people had forms that they prayed and Jesus like abandons forms. And he doesn't reference the Old Testament. He is praying about himself. Right? And it's one of the few times we see this um, in the scriptures like, or in, in Jesus' ministry where he stops and he just prays about himself. And he says, hey, the hour is here. I mean, he is literally like, like on the cusp of the crucifixion, of the arrest. Um, Judas has gone off to sell him like, like it is now. And he says, glorify your son. He's asking God to glorify him. He's asking God to give him like, like glory. And this is probably a reference to when Jesus came to earth, he stepped away from the glory that was with him in heaven. He emptied himself of like sort of that glory that he carried in heaven. This is a little like, I don't know. It'd be a little like taking off a coat, right? You know, he took off the glory that he carried with him. I'm not going to take my coat off because it'll mess up my microphone. And I, I don't want to do that. Um, but he took off the glory that was in him, and he stepped into the world. Now he's saying to God, hey, bring me back and glorify me. But this doesn't just happen. This doesn't just happen in and of itself. Like this is like something that happens as a part of getting to God, like as a part of going through the cross. Like he's saying, hey, about to be crucified, going to be resurrected, going to go live with you again in heaven, like in eternity, glorify me that I may glorify you. There's another element here. Jesus' whole life is about obeying the Father, right? God sent him to redeem us. God sent him to be obedient to God. God sent him to go to the cross in obedience. Like all of this stuff is glorifying to God. Um, and here's how. Have any of y'all ever tried to be good on your own? Have any of y'all ever like said, well, I am going to become acceptable to God by my own efforts. I will try really, really, really hard, and by my own efforts, I will get there. I was reading this morning about um, Bill. Uh, I don't even know his last name. Nobody knows his last name. Bill was one of the founders of AA, and he talks about his whole life trying to overcome alcohol. 
And he gets to this point at the end of his life where he, he, uh, he's failed over and over again. Everything he's ever tried, all the swearing, I'll never do this again, all of this stuff has failed over and over again. And he gets to the very end, um, like where, where he's literally dying from his drinking problem. And he has a friend that comes to him and he says, hey, you know what? I, I've beaten it myself. You can do it too. I, I found religion. And he's offended by, I'm not going to, I don't need God, I don't need all this other stuff. And in the end, like through a series of exchanges, he realizes that if he submits himself to God, like God will take care of him, right? Because you and I cannot overcome our own sin. Like the way Bill couldn't overcome alcohol, we can't overcome sin, right? You put me on my own, I will get jealous. I'll think about me first. I'm probably the only one in the room that does that, right? It's all about me. I will seek my own pleasure when I shouldn't. I will... You know, I, I mean, I just, I'm petty and horrible. Like, that's the truth. And all of us are because we're all sinful. It's just how we're, how we are because sin has tainted us and we've fallen. Um, God knows we cannot reach him. And so he comes to our level and provides a way to him. God is glorified by his enormous mercy, right? I mean, because if you back up and you look at things that are worth saying, man, God is awesome. One of the best things to say it about is how merciful God is, right? That God can take the worst of the worst of the worst and clean them up and make them into something like that reflects how awesome he is. Um, everybody knows the song Amazing Grace, right? We, the backstory for that, it was written on a slave ship. They got a slave trading vessel. The captain of the ship realized like, like during a storm he was going to drown and he he confessed, like, God, I'm such a horrible man. Like, please just redeem me. And, like, God, like, saved him from drowning. And he said, well, I'm going to commit my life to God. And he started learning. And he realized selling people as property is bad. <laughs> and he wrote Amazing Grace while selling people into slavery. And then he spent the rest of his life, like, and all of his fortune. He died penniless rescuing people from slavery, like buying people out and freeing them. Like he fixed or did his best to fix what he had done wrong. He did that because of his own power? No, he did that because God redeemed him from the pit. God took this horrible, wicked man and cleaned him up and made him good, right? Made him good for his own glory? Actually, no. Because um, the best people you know, right, the holiest, godliest people you know are people who are reflecting God's glory, Um one of my favorite movies, Jess and I, one of our favorite movies is uh, The Fifth Element. Um, and there's a scene in the beginning of The Fifth Element where they're in this, like, Egyptian tomb. And they're reading hieroglyphics. And there's a boy. His name is Aziz. And his job is to hold up a giant mirror. Right? Because they can't see without the mirror. And so Aziz, like, holds it and gets the sunlight. And the sunlight hits the mirror. And the mirror shines into the tomb. Right? This is what redeemed folks do. And this is actually what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is saying, glorify your son that your son may glorify you. He's saying, listen, bring me glory, God, so that I can point it toward you. Because ultimately, ultimately to know God is to know his glory, right? Um, if you know my wife, and put her on the spot all the time. Um, if you know my wife, you will know that she is like, she's beautiful inside now. Right. And if you spend time getting to know her, you will know that like just you can't help but know it. You'll know that she's fierce. 
You know that she is, you know, compassionate. You know all of these, like, things about her. She's funny and all this other stuff. To know her is to know she is beautiful inside and out. The same is true of God. Like, to know God is to know he is glorious, right? To know God is to know he is amazing. Um, It's funny. I was sitting with a guy. How many years ago was that now? Like, ten years ago, I was sitting with a guy um, in northern Minnesota by a campfire at, like, two in the morning. And we're talking about God. And we're underneath this, like, giant field of stars, right? It's the field of stars you guys get to see every day. But, like, we lived in Indiana where there are clouds because God doesn't like Indiana. <laughs> I hope my Hoosier friends listen to this. Um, <laughs> but, but there are clouds all the time. You can't see anything. And I, I turned to him and I said, you know what? Looking up at the sky right now, it feels like, like this is perfect. Like God has hung everything in the sky right now so we can appreciate how amazing he is. And we talked back and forth about how glorious and how amazing God was. And then all of a sudden, I I think I said, I remember saying it actually, I said, this could not get more amazing. And way off in the distance, I saw a big flash. And then another big flash. And then another big flash. And I looked at him, and I'm like, dude, what is that? Is that a thunderstorm? And then another big flash. And then that flash filled up a little more of the sky. And then that flash filled up a little more of the sky. And my friend looks at me and says, that's the northern lights. And we got everybody out of bed, actually. Woke up all the teenagers and pulled them out of their tents and everything else. And we stood there in the dark next to this lake with a mist sitting over the water and the stars in the sky and the northern lights. And we all said, wow, God is amazing. This is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. To know God is to know his glory, right? To know God is to appreciate the creation in a whole other way. To know God is to appreciate the miracle that is new life. Like, is to appreciate the miracle that is, like, charity and grace coming from folks who are selfish. Like, to know God is to know that he has rescued you from yourself. Right? There are several people I know here who, like, have come out of nasty circumstances. And, like, have ugly backgrounds and have done ugly things. And, and like the best moments they have is when they realize God loved me so much that he made me who I am now. They pulled me out of that. Um, and ultimately, that's what we do. Like the son glorifies God because he is glorified. And how is he glorified? He's glorified by being raised up on the cross. Isn't that crazy? Like the most humiliating death you could die, like the most humiliating, awful experience you could go through, and God glorifies himself through that. Like because God is... There's a sense of humor, apparently. Um, verse 2. Golly, I'm s- slow, sorry. Um, For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Um, and he says, listen, God, give me glory so I can glorify you, because all people in the world, the ones who you gave me, I can give them eternal life. To have eternal life, by the way, is to know God. In, in John's gospel, this is like what this is. It's not about living forever. It's about knowing God, and through knowing God, we have eternal life. And he says, listen, I can bring you glory by bringing these people knowledge of you. If you know God, if you know him, you know his glory. The deeper you know him, the more you know his glory. The more you learn to forgive, the more you learn to love, the more you learn to like, like empty yourself, the more you learn to make it about other people instead of you, and about pointing to God with your life, like, you understand his glory and it changes you. Um, and Jesus, like, his plan is to give eternal life. This is what he was given before the creation. 
Now this is eternal life. This is a continuation. It's not an aside. Some folks say, oh, well, this is an aside. He actually says, um, you know, that I may give them eternal life. Now this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Um, Jesus is praying and he says, listen, if they know me, they know you, and that's eternal life. Like to know God's glory is to know Jesus, right? We can only know it in part, but like Jesus is the most perfect revelation of who God is. You want to know how to glorify God, look at the life of Christ and live like him. And when people ask, point to him, right? And when I started going to church, that was the one thing I wanted more than anything else, just to be like those people who are so much like Jesus. And I didn't know I wanted to be like Jesus at the time. It took me forever to figure that out. Um, but I saw God in those folks. And God was glorified through it. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. This is actually including the cross he's talking about here. He's saying, listen, I've, I've done my teaching. I've revealed you all of this stuff. Like, I've done your work. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. He's saying, all right, God, I've done the work. I've brought you glory. Now bring me home. Like, the time is over. I'm, bring me back to you. Uh, now, there's a big chunk of text we're going to look at here. Watch this. I've revealed you to those you gave me out of, the, out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. So now I'm going to pause there for a second. If we hear Jesus, if we follow him, if we know him, we know the Father, right? We know the glory of God through knowing Jesus. To know God is to know his glory. It's unavoidable. So to know Jesus, to hear his words, to obey, to follow, like, is to be made new. It's to be given something better. It's to be given a glimpse of the glory of God. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine, and, the, and glory comes to me through them. So now this last line is the big important one. These folks imitate Christ. They know the Father. They, like, reflect that glory. So, like, Jesus' job, reflect glory to God and the church, right, the people that God gave him, the church, their job is to glorify Christ. And so, like, like here in the beginning, as the church is about to be established, Jesus prays and he gives us this hint. This is our purpose, folks. Our purpose is to glorify God, right? It's an easy one. Except, what does that even mean, Right? I mean, it's easy to say, let's glorify God. And we sing, and that sort of feels like glorifying God. And, you know, we might say, glory to God, right? We say it at Christmas, right? Glory to, oh, no, that's, yeah, at Christmas. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace to all those with whom he is pleased. Like, we got that nailed down, so we got glory, glorifying God. But, like, our job is to glorify God. And I don't think it's a job that stops there. This is a job that is an all-day, everyday thing. It is not end on Christmas. It does not end on Sunday morning. Um, just another thing from the prayer here. I have given them the glory you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am 
and to see my glory and the glory you have given me because you loved them before the creation of the world. Um, Jesus gives us a little hint there. He talks about first, make them one. So one of the first steps we take, one of the first steps we take in glorifying God is being a part of each other, right? Like being one. Like people look at us and they see our unity. They see the love we share. They see the, the unity of purpose and motion and everything else. Like, and we, we glorify God through that. They know God through our unity. Um, this is difficult though, ain't it? Man, I've never found a, like, like some of the churches I've attended and, and been a part of, they were the hardest people in the world to get along with. Like, it was outstanding how difficult. I mean, I was perfect. They were horrible. <laughs> I think that's a side effect of making the main thing not the main thing, right? I, I, a while ago, I had a conversation with a guy, a friend of mine, who, uh, who had attended his first AA meeting. He, he was telling me about it, and he said, this is the common theme for the week. Sorry, guys, I, I don't know why. Um, he had attended his first AA meeting, and he said to me, you know what's crazy? I watched as this woman came in, and she was having this horrible time, and she felt judged, and she felt like everybody hated her, and she was miserable and angry and crying and everything else, and they stopped everything, and everyone in the room took turns telling her, you're one of us. We love you. We'll take care of you. You're one of us. It's okay. Call us. We'll help you. Walk with us. We'll keep you strong. And he was like, man, I wish the church could be like that. And that hurt, but that's what it comes down to. Like our job as the church, when we hurt and we stumble and we fall, is to gather around each other and pick each other up, right? Because like, look at how strong and wonderful I am. No, because we all know what it means to be sinful, right? That's actually why we work on sin, not so that we can point our finger and say, hey, those guys are bad, right? And that is fun to do, mind you, but it's sort of the opposite of what we're supposed to be doing. Because it assumes our own righteousness. The cool thing, like this guy was saying to me, the cool thing was nobody felt like they were better than anyone else because they all knew they were horrible. They all knew they were sinners and drunks and everything else. They didn't care. They just said, hey, we're just like you. Walk with us. We'll help you. This is the way the church ought to be, he said, right? We ought to look at each other and say, you know what I sin too? I struggle. You know what? I get angry too. I struggle. You know, I forget about these things that are important. I struggle. Let me help you. Walk with me. Why do we overcome sin? We don't overcome sin because we want to be perfect or holy. We overcome sin so we can be like Jesus, so we can glorify God, right? Every sin I've ever overcome, I want to point back and say, hey, that's Jesus fixing me, if you knew me well. And I think that's a product, I would argue, a product of what Jesus is talking about here, that unity, that, that make glorifying God the most important thing needs to be what we're about. And so when we look at folks and we say, man, that guy, you all know people around here you don't like, right? Or is it just no one, really? <laughs> Am I talking to the wrong crowd? Um, at the end of the day, when you look at somebody you don't like because they irritate you or because they have different perspectives and beliefs than you or because they, you know, they vote a different way than you or whatever kind of nonsense, like all of those things are secondary to loving God. Actually, there's another A thing I'm going to pull out here. Um, this is tr traditions. They have all these traditions. They read them in meetings and stuff. And one of the things they say is um, that they ought never endorse, finance, or lend their name um, to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Um, 
man, if the church could only manage that, right? If we could only just be about glorifying God and stop lending our names to things that have nothing to do with that. Like, what if, like, every time I meet one of you guys, I say, how can I glorify God by lifting you up or holding you up? How can I glorify God by walking with you? Actually, this is, I have had the worst week of, like, the decade for me so far. And I had, like, five people from this church sit down with me and say, what's going on with you? Can I support you? How can I help? What's going on? Can I, you got anything you need to talk about? Just talk to me. And, like, afterwards I thought about it and I was like, man, I appreciate that, God. Thank you. Because in those moments, you guys talking to me like you were reflecting God's glory. You weren't weren't doing your own thing. You were being Jesus in my life. I appreciate it. Like That's our job, to glorify God. That's our job to walk together. That's our job to tell people about Jesus and honestly to act like him so they actually want to be near him. Like our unity points folks towards that. First Peter If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. Man, that's a hard, hard thing, ain't it? I think he's actually referring about church services, but it's probably something worth paying attention to, right? If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. So John, or Peter is saying, he's like, listen, when you talk, and people are hearing you talk as though you're speaking on God's behalf because people are looking at you and you're God's voice, right? Like the church is the body of the Christ in the world. Like we are Jesus' body. So when folks talk, like when you talk, that's what they hear. I, uh, I have so much trouble controlling my tongue. Is that just me? So I don't talk about politics with folks, right? Because the moment I start, I realize I'm going to say something stupid. And I'm going to say something that's going to do the exact opposite of glorifying God, right? So I don't talk about that because I want to talk about Jesus. If I'm going to talk about anything, I want to talk about Jesus because the words that I speak, like, I need to take it seriously. This is a pretty tall demand, isn't it? How could you even do that, like, constantly focusing on doing this work? You point your life in a direction, you head that way, right? That's it. My, my life exists to glorify God. How do I do that in my marriage? I wake up in the morning and I say, how can I be Jesus to my wife? That is a really hard thing to say, especially when you're mad. No, I mean, I, I, I'm glad I'm not the only one. But I wake up in the morning I, sometimes and I'm mad at my wife. I say, well, how do I glorify God this morning? Well, I've got to be like Jesus to my wife. How do I do that? I've got to empty myself, right? I gotta forgive, I gotta love, I gotta serve, I gotta be selfless, I gotta sacrifice, I gotta do all these things because that's what it means. Actually, John takes or Paul takes it a step further. He's actually in the context here, he's talking about meat sacrificed to idols. Um, because there were like people who were eating meat, you'd go to the market and you would buy your meat, and there was no knowing where that meat had come from, right? Um, there was no FDA, that's the one. There's no FDA checking out, you know, these cows and those cows to make sure that they weren't, you know, diseased. And there was no one, like, making sure the butchering process was right. And one of the things that happened in the pagan world is 
people would take their animal, they would sacrifice it to a pagan idol, and then they would sell it in the market. Because, like, you sacrifice it, you might as well, like, sell it, right? Like, make your money off it. And there were some Christians who came along and said, wait a minute, if you eat that meat that was sacrificed to an idol, then you're participating in a pagan culture, and that's not okay. And there were other folks who were like, yeah, but, like, there's no such thing as these false gods. They're all made up, so I'm going to eat whatever the heck I want because, you know, I belong to Jesus and everything's permissible. And Paul comes along and he says, hey, if you don't know and nobody knows, just eat it. If you know and the people around you know and you eating it is going to make them stumble, don't eat it. Right? Because the bottom line of it is whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Now, he's just talking about eating meat to sacrifice to idols. But, like, if we start applying this principle everywhere, if I exercise my freedom in Christ and it causes somebody else to stumble... I'm not glorifying God. Like whatever I do, whether I'm serving the community, whether I'm talking to y'all, whether I'm taking care of poor people, whether I'm talking, I mean, whatever I do, it needs to point back to glorifying God. It needs to point back to the sacrifice of Christ. It needs to point back to God's salvation, like God saving us from the pit, like God's amazing grace in Jesus. Like that is my job. That is your job. That is our job. Um, I remind you, like, Especially, we're having a meeting after this, right? Congregational meeting. Anybody ever sat through a congregational meeting that did everything except glorify God? Fortunately, we don't have problems like that. Um, but it does happen, right? Any of y'all ever get mad at a brother and sister in Christ and tell everybody in the world except them? That's fun, isn't it? I bet that glorifies God. It doesn't. I do it too. It's fine. Um, it's actually not fine, <laughs> but I'm confessing that I do it, right? Because, and I'm forgiven, and I got to try and do better. Um, I'm going to end here. I think I went a little. Well, I'm not over time, but I know this is long, and I know it's warm in here, guys. And I know we have a lunch waiting for us. Um, I'm going to end with a challenge here, guys. When you walk out the door today, um, everything in the world wants our attention, right? I mean, like, there are giant signs on the side of the highway that tell you this is what you need to pay attention to, right? And there are things on your Facebook page that try to get you mad enough to pay attention to that and nothing else, right? There's fun toys we can buy. There's, you know, everything that seems important. But ultimately, if those things don't fall underneath glorifying God, like, we're getting lost. We become like Titus stealing the trucks. You know, yeah, I don't care if this gets done. I'm going to go play with my stuff, right? And there are lots of things that are our little trucks, like church buildings, right? Sex, everybody looking up to me or you or anyone else, people agreeing with me. I mean, the list goes on and on. My question, my challenge to you is, like, what are the things you worship that aren't that? What are the things you pursue that aren't glorifying God? Like, is your life this, like, giant neon flashing sign that points to God and says, Jesus redeemed me. You should have seen me before. Like, or is it about other things? I'm going to close in prayer, and and, um, then we'll go eat lunch, right? Um, Heavenly Father, I pray that you would be with us this morning. Um, I pray that... uh, Pray that I didn't bite off more I could chew this morning and that, that folks got at least something out of what I had to say, um, out of your word this morning. 
I pray that your spirit would move in the lives of the folks who are here. I pray that we would be a community of people that glorify you. I, uh, I, I can't think of anything more important than being people who glorify you. That when the world looks at us, they see like Jesus. That they see grace, that they see love. Not compromise, not you know, accommodation of, of sin or anything like that, but, but actually glorifying you. Unity is the body of Christ and unity in our purpose, direction, and mission that we would all exist to glorify you and to advance the gospel in this world. In Jesus' name, amen.